Welcome to this episode of The Language Question, Kesh Natangan, a conversation about the Irish language and its history for anyone curious about their relationship with it and its role in our identity. Our guest in this episode is Dr. Roisin Costello. I really enjoyed this conversation with Roisin and I found it fascinating. I first came across Roisin through her essay, A Forked Tongue, which in turn led me to go back to look at the 1901 and 1910 Irish census records for my own family, something which is incredibly easy to do online and which I highly recommend. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. As always, I would really appreciate your feedback and would be eternally grateful if you would follow, rate and review the show. Please also be sure to sign up at thelanguagequestion.com forward slash resources to get your complimentary valuable learning resources and to ensure that you stay up to date on upcoming episodes, guests, and to receive exclusive content. Anyhow, here goes with this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Come win it to Saltas. Dr. Roisin Costello is a writer and academic working in Irish and English, Her work considers the intersections of language and landscape in Ireland and the power and place of female narratives. Roisin's writing has previously been shortlisted for the Bodley Head Financial Times Essay Prize. Her essay, A Forked Tongue, was... ...published by Banshee Press at BansheeLit.com, and her essay, The Sea Has Many Names, was published by The Hopper at HopperMag.org. A Roisin Akara... Tafolche is fihirot erin show agus gurmila mahagut asavelin. Gurmila mahagut asavelin. Well, um, Roshin, we are so happy to have you with us. Uh, it is my great privilege to, to have the opportunity to speak to you today. And there's so many things I'm looking forward to, to discussing with you. Uh, but to start with, as we always do here, I'd love to get a sense of and, and, and just a little picture of your background in the language, Roshin, how you came to it and, and, and what that has looked like in your life growing up. Sure. So I, I suppose like an awful lot of Irish people, I have, um, I suppose, a, a fairly messy family history with Irish. Um, so my mother's family is from uh, the north of County Clare, a place that was a Gaeltacht until she was a, a child and had a really strong history of, um, and a really strong kind of, I suppose, oral history of, of storytelling and a very strong Irish speaking community. Um, both monolingual and I suppose uh, surrounded by a very strong bilingual area, very big bracket. Um, but my mother's generation of her family really spoke Irish at school and never spoke it at home. So although her own mother uh, would have grown up in an exclusively Irish speaking household and with parents who were, um, I suppose, native speakers uh, to whatever degree we say that it's native or not, um, she and her own generation of, of the family kind of had a very poor grasp of Irish. Um, my dad then is from, from Dublin and grew up in a family where Irish wasn't spoken at all, really, despite there being a really strong uh, family history of involvement with uh, Abiyok and Agelga. Um, so it's a really, I suppose, inconsistent engagement in my family. And then my parents made this choice, I suppose, in part based on their own inability to speak the language that my sister and I were going to be able to speak it. Um, so they... Uh, had immigrated actually and they came back from Australia and sent us straight to an Irish speaking primary school uh, in Dublin and all my teachers there were from the Dingle Gaeltacht so they're all from Bangani Um yeah and my sister and I have fluent Irish as a result of that basically um, and I think we have I suppose now sort of a, this kind of unsettled relationship where my sister and I really love Irish and are fluent speakers and 
have really, um, I suppose, a, a huge growth of the, the language. Um, and my parents, I think, as a result of that, have kind of been pulled back into it. Um, so my parents now are kind of the first generation in their family to go to Irish lessons as adults <laughs> and to be doing their Duolingo and obsessed with Little Green Owl and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I suppose how I came to it is just that my parents decided to send me to Irish school. And I was really lucky that there was a Gael school near us and that the Gael school was good. Um, yeah, and that's it. I suppose like I know a lot of people in my generation, I, I have parents who don't speak Irish, but um, I speak fluently myself. Wonderful. There's so much there um, that I'd like to come to. But just first, can I just pick up for a second? And you may not be able to answer this, but your mom said her her mom was or her parents were were native speakers. Was that correct? What what does your mom have ever spoken to you about her recollections of growing up and how how they used or didn't use Irish in the home? Or or, 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 does that something you've ever Discussed. Yes, yeah, so her her parents were the children of native speakers. It's probably the, the easiest okay. way to put it. Okay. Um, so she's kind of, I suppose, the, the evidence of how quickly it slips away in a family in some respects. Um, so my, my mother's recollection is very funny because she would always, when I was growing up and I would... Um, I, I knew my great grandparents and my mother's grandparents were still alive when I was born and they would have had very good Irish and, and also would have had that the English that indicated that they were Irish speakers by default. Um, so very unusual grammatical structures, real like Anglo-Irish turns of phrase or I'm uh, sorry, Hiberno-Irish turns of phrase. Um, so I suppose, but mum always, when she was kind of pushed on it, would always say, well, we weren't an Irish speaking family. We didn't have much Irish. That was kind of always what she said. Um, and I kind of took that for granted. Like my my mother's Irish is very weak. My aunt is a primary school teacher and has lovely Irish, but I always associated that as being because she's a primary school teacher and she went through the training. Um, and even when my great grandparents were alive and, and my grandparents, um, there wouldn't have been a huge amount of Irish spoken. Uh, like if you asked them to speak Irish, they would speak it to you. But it was kind of um, the default language for our interactions is always English. And now I think in my great grandfather's part, a little bit of that was scepticism that his Dublin-based great-grandchildren could speak Irish. <laughs> but yeah, it's unusual. And I kind of, I suppose I, I just took that for granted for an awful lot of my life. And then when I was um, in university, I was doing my PhD and I was, as usual, when you're doing a doctorate, procrastinating wildly, <laughs> trying not to write it. Uh, and I ended up, uh, whatever way I was at home one day in the house in Clare, uh, looking at a, a hiking map and it's a very old map uh, online in the, the Clare Library and it had Gail Tuck printed across the area where my family are from and I thought and it was a really kind of it was an old map but it wasn't like that old uh, and I showed it to my mum and I said you know that's mad like I never knew we were from a Gail Tuck and she kind of said oh yeah sure like there was a Gail Tuck here like until I was a child um and I thought, like, are you kidding me? Like, when you were born, this was still a Gaeltacht. And now, like, all the signs are in English, you know, like, I, there's no evidence that it was ever there at all. Um, so I thought that was uh, really, really interesting. Um, and then I kind of thought, well, how on earth was this a Gaeltacht even when my mum was born? And yet she doesn't think of herself as being from an Irish-speaking family. And I started kind of researching it like talking to my aunt who has all the old family trees and has all the kind of she's recorded people on cds and everything when uh, they were kind of getting old so talked to her an awful lot about it and she was going back to the stuff she had um and then i started to look up the census records because i thought well that's the surest way to know what language people were speaking at the time and ended up finding the old kind of family farmhouses up the top of the mountain <laughs> uh, behind where we live now and i found the record for it um and the mother of the family who is my I think three times great grandmother 
uh, was a monolingual Irish speaker. And she's married to a man who speaks Irish and English. And all their kids speak Irish and English. Um, but I was like, okay, well, that's that's it. Like, we are actually an Irish-speaking family in the way that all Irish families are Irish-speaking families and you don't have to go back that far at all. Um, so I suppose that was kind of a kind of, I suppose, trying to unpick our family relationship to it. I remember showing that to my mom and her saying, like, I had no idea about that, you know? Oh, 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 and that's just, just so, so deep and that's so wonderful. And I really want to just dive really deep into that because um, that's be, that, what you wrote in, 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 in A Fork Tongue, which we'll come to as well, inspired me to go back and look at the, 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 um, the, the 1901 census as well in my family on, on, on four different sides. And it's, it's, it's an extraordinary thing I recommend to anybody listening to, to do. It's so easy to do as well. But before we come to that, Russian, um I, I would like to just maybe just talk about your own personal journey because we really got to come back to that whole question because there's so much there in terms of the great yeah. families and, and all of us. But just in terms of your own experience, so you went to a Gael school. Did you go to Gael Colossia then following that? I actually didn't. I think I had the experience that maybe an awful lot of um, children have, especially if you're not from like a, a nuclear family that's Irish speaking, maybe mm-hmm. that like I went to Irish primary school. All my friendships were through Irish. I learned everything through Irish. And then the place to go then in Dublin, where I was growing up, was Clough East or Clough Stone, if you're a boy. Um, and everybody from my primary school was going. <laughs> like Every single person, my whole class, was just being transplanted. And I kind of rebelled against that a bit. I thought, like, why do I have to do what they're all doing? Um, and why can't I just go to the school that's at the bottom of my road, uh, which is like an English-speaking secondary school. They played hockey <laughs> and basketball. And I thought, like, why can't I just do that? Like, why do I have to go to this one school? Because I went to this primary school. Um, And I suppose my parents were very kind of um, hands off. And they enrolled me for a couple of different schools, including Clorty School. And they were like, you can choose like where you want to go. Um, And I just chose to go to the school at the end of my road. Um, And in part, I think maybe that was because I had traveled like a not a long distance because it's Dublin. It's a tiny city. But like I had had to travel kind of. 20 or 30 minutes in the car every morning to primary school um and I just was kind of like why don't I get to walk to school like all my friends get to walk to school kind of a thing which is a really kind of like 12 year old attitude to have right (laughs) I don't want to spend 45 minutes on a bus how awful um so I went to the I went well I I think you were ahead of your time in terms of your understanding of the Dublin lack of public transport infrastructure (laughs) I would have wasted hours of my teenage years on buses um yeah so I just went to I went to uh the the uh, secondary school that was down the road for me which is Muckris um had like the biggest kind of um culture shock on the first day when I turned up because it was just such a different world like I think every girl nearly in my year had had mothers and aunts and grandmothers who went to the school uh, I was one of the only people who wasn't from kind of this long line of of women who had gone to this kind of uh, South Dublin school so I was just completely um completely into the deep end I think and was probably have been a lot more at home in Glossy Scone in a lot of ways um but yeah so I didn't I had like fine Irish teachers uh, in secondary school I went to the Gaeltook every summer uh, so I went out to Splother in uh, Connemara uh, and promptly began to develop a very mutant kind of Irish because I had Dangany Hoosh Irish from primary school and then lovely Connemara Irish in secondary school every summer uh yeah and I still was friends with people I was in primary school with and our friendships were still very multilingual like we would still talk to each other in Irish as easily we would talk to each other in English um yeah and then I think I went to I was I remember when I was filling out my CAO form I was kind of um 
I've been kind of convinced by my parents that law was a very good option and it was a good degree if I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to do. Um, and my first choice was law and Trinity, which I went and did. But my second choice was actually law and Irish and UCC. Um, and the only reason I didn't do law and Irish is because it wasn't on offer in Dublin, really, I think. <laughs> if it had been on offer at the time in UCD or Trinity, I would have been into it like a shot. Um, but there just it didn't exist. I think it exists now, certainly in UCD, and I think Trinity are building a programme as well. But um, they're just UCC was the only option at the time. Um, and it felt like a really big step to go that far away from my family. And when I got my first choice, I was kind of like, well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when I was in uh, university then, I kind of, I still had an awful lot of friends who studied Irish. So it was sort of without thinking about it or without it ever being something that was um, even on my radar. Like when I look back at it, like two or three of my best friends were in Irish. And we spent an awful lot of time as a result of that kind of socialising with the Cunra and Club Nagelga and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was always kind of there, but it's that funny thing of like, because I'm not from an Irish family, I never really considered myself part of it. I kind of operated in parallel to it and dipped in and out, but I never really considered myself part of that kind of like Irish speaking community, I suppose. Again, you, you've just, you know, sc- scratched into some really, really deep um, things there that I would love to explore with you in, 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 in some greater depth, particularly around relationship with the language and so on. But I still want to just stick with your personal journey, if you like, um, just just for a little bit, because mm. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really um, fascinated there by, you know, that progression from the Gaelskull to the Gaelskullosh for, for, for the exact type of reasons that I would have made those types of decisions yeah. when I was 12. Um, and, um, but, but you maintained the, the connection with Irish because, which could vary because, because you know the way there's an awful lot of, oh my God, this is why are we learning this language? It's a dead language. It's of no use to us. You know, there's this, there's this, there's all of this kind of, these, these tropes that are, that are, that, that, that come out. And we, I, I as a kid said them, my whole life um but how but 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 I'm, I'm really really intrigued by the fact that you maintained relationships with your classmates from uh the um Gwales call uh, through secondary and into third level in Irish was that was that unusual do you think or 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 or, or what do you how do you look back reflecting on that now yeah I think it was just so unselfconscious. um like even now like if we met up and I we started off conversation in English, we could just continue in English. But equally, if we started off conversation in Irish, we would just continue in Irish. And I think probably it's just that, um, it's that really like unselfconscious thing of a child learning something as their first language or constructing relationships in a particular way that they never think, oh, well, is that the right language to use? Like, should I be using a particular language in this context? Like, am I making somebody uncomfortable or am I putting them on the spot? Um, Because we just all had these relationships where when we were inside the school gate, you had to speak Irish. That was the end of it. You'd get lines if you didn't. Um, we just always spoke to each other in Irish. And then when we left at the end of the day, sometimes we'd speak to each other in English, but sometimes we'd speak to each other in Irish. And it just kind of depends how we felt and what we were doing. Com- completely, completely. Now that, that, that's 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 fascinating. I, but, but I suppose, and just the point that I was wanted to just maybe just probe into a little bit deeper there is, was there ever any question of, because there was this compulsion in the primary school environment mm. that then when you got out that there was a kind of a a, 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 a a backlash in the other direction where you would you would stop speaking Irish because you had to speak it in school or was there was there ever any question of that 
No, I don't, I don't ever really remember that, to be honest. I know, like, an awful lot of families were, like, Irish, where the parents didn't speak Irish and the kids were sent to an Irish-speaking school. So, like, I can remember, like, you know, if somebody's mum picks you up and the parents don't speak Irish, it's very rude to get into the back of the car and speak Irish, where they can't understand you. But I think we were, I don't, we never kind of, um, like, the biggest rebellion you could have had in our primary school was to try and speak English in the yard. And I think there was a little bit of that when we got into fifth and sixth class where people would be like, oh, it's like said a little sentence in English, scandalous. And, you know, you'd be taken aside with this beautiful headmaster. He was just such a gentleman. And he'd like bring us into the office and be like, now I'm very surprised at you. You know, you're you were a very good student and you're very nice artist. Like, why are you talking English? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. And you'd be left back out. And then you'd be like, yeah, why did I do that? That was stupid. Um, but it was a kind of a very... It was a very kind of light touch atmosphere and it was a really, it was a, such a lovely school. And I think we were also treated so, um, when I look back on it, we were treated so much like grown ups when we were kids in that school. So like we never, you know, we called everybody like by their first names. If you wanted a staff member, you just went and knocked on the staff room door and went in and found them. Like it was a very, um, in some ways, like a very, very liberal uh, atmosphere in the school like there was this huge amount of respect among the students and the staff so when people spoke English or kind of like tried to have a little revolt like that I think there was this very kind of grown-up response to be like well why are you doing that and you know you don't need to do that to prove anything to me um, and I think as a result like we really just didn't rebel very much you we were kind of like well let's get like a detention or line the lunch for doing something else but why would you get it for speaking English it just seemed like not a rebellion that anybody was particularly interested in. <laughs> it's it's not a ditch you're going to die in. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, but, absolutely but, not. Um, because I, I, I'm just, because I, 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 I just, you know, all, all, always, always, always fascinated by that because I've been thinking about it a, a lot recently. I mean, I think you know, from the 1830s when when the national school system was brought in, we had this system which was um, denying Irish and that you had to. To, to, to work in the education system through English and, and the parents wanted their children to be educated exclusively through English. They didn't want the children ling- learning Irish because they wanted them to have the economic opportunity of being able to emigrate and get out of what was, you know, um, a, 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 a situation of no opportunity here at the time. So you had that for the 50 years, let's say, or 70 years leading up to independence. Then it flipped over completely and we had the, you know, a very... Um, a very well, quite brutal system of enforcing the use of compulsory Irish in the early days of education, and the whole idea of it was beaten into us. But you had a total flip over from compulsory English to compulsory Irish, um, and 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 then that, that that there was that change then again in the, in in the sixties and seventies with liberalisation of or just changed in the education system, and then you have the the Gael uh, skull uh, um, um, uh, kind of movement coming in, and 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 you had just a much more benign and you know beautiful connection with the language that I think you've benefited from and 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 have been the the product of now at this age. It's, it's it's a wonderful thing to see, but but there, there's so many kind of complex layers to it all, aren't there? Yeah, there are, and I think maybe the thing that my primary school really did incredibly well, the headmasters and the teachers did really well was this idea that like Irish and English are not exclusive. Like speaking one or growing up with one as your first language doesn't cancel out the other, doesn't make you less loyal to the other language, doesn't mean the other language is less worthy or less beneficial in any way, that they are 
two languages that are equally worthy of use and respect and investigation and and all the kind of um they have rich cultures associated with both of them and that indulging in one or using one doesn't diminish the other and in fact they can be really really mutually beneficial like I know my experience as like a bilingual child and then as a bilingual adult has been incredibly enriching and has really allowed me certainly to you know read texts and engage with history and historical sources and even legal sources in a way that uh, I wouldn't have if I only spoke one language and I speak English every day and I don't get the opportunity to speak Irish every day but that doesn't make me any less an Irish speaker it doesn't mean that I love the language any less or that I think it's less deserving of use I'd love to be able to wake up every day and without thinking just go out and live my life through Irish or English Um, and I can't do that but that's not the fault of either language (laughs) Um, like that's it's completely different and I think what our primary school did really well was kind of inculcate us that idea that you can be both things being an Irish speaker doesn't mean that you aren't an English speaker and being an English speaker doesn't mean that you aren't an Irish speaker you can be both completely uh, and they don't have to cancel each other out or reduce the other yeah and no, I think that's so um that's so insightful because I, I and I do think there was historically this kind of sense of one had to displace the other as yeah. in English had to displace Irish and then Irish had was trying to displace English in, in in the early years of the state and I think one of the big opportunities that we lost as as a nation I think is embracing bilingualism in 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 you know in in, in a really fundamental way but but anyway that's 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 um um that is the the way the history panned out but i mean but to 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 just come forward a little bit in relation to that which what about your your relationship with family members now you said your mom and dad don't you know wouldn't have been irish speakers to begin with but are now going back learning it and they're dealing with that kind of passive aggressive little owl on the <laughs> in, in in the in the in the uh in the duolingo i've i've had to banish the owl from my life because it was just it just became too 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 um uh oppressive but um um but duolingo is a great way in for a lot of people i know but um what about your relationship with your sister now i mean you you both grew up or came up through the Gwaelkelosh. how do you would you speak to one another in irish still yeah my, my sister and i have this funny relationship where like i'm very kind of um in some ways evangelical about irish i'm like you know it's so important and it's such a beautiful language and like everybody should try and remember how close we all are to it and that you know if you can't speak it it's not your fault like maybe you've been robbed of that opportunity um, well, I'm kind of, and a lot of the, the work I do as a practitioner and as a, an academic, uh, more so over the last couple of years, is about um, language rights and trying to create a kind of situation where I could leave my house and speak Irish or English every day and that choice would be up to me. It wouldn't be constrained by kind of all the systems that at the moment are kind of a default monolingual English system. Uh, whereas my sister, for a lot of her uh, secondary school and then college existence was very at peace with <laughs> letting one language be a very private language um and then like I kind of I think I might have radicalized her a little bit over the last couple of years <laughs> I've been kind of like doing a lot of this research and you know doing the kind of um research that led to writing that article for Banshee and as I was kind of like telling Emer about it she was like getting really exercised and like oh this is so bad our family used to be this fluent Irish-speaking family and like 
now I haven't spoken Irish in years. And <laughs> um, so she was like, now we have this kind of um, promise to each other, although we don't always fulfill it, that one day a week we will only speak Irish in the family WhatsApp chat and we will only speak Irish to each other on the phone. Um, and it's going pretty well. Our poor parents kind of struggle along with us. But I think when we started doing that, she was really frustrated by the amount of the language that she had lost um, or that she just really kind of, as I, I remember myself when I finished university, like I really hadn't spoken Irish in a sustained way for so long that I like remember the first time I went on radio to do something about law and I really actually just sit down and like write out what I thought my answers would be and like look up words and it really scared me because I would never previously have had the experience of having to like actively think about what I was going to say in Irish and I think exactly the same happened same thing happened to my sister she was like I suddenly don't know words that I would never have had to think about before Um, and the thing is that that comes back right it's kind of a muscle memory so if you knew it once the reality is you will remember it or if somebody reminds you of it you'll then kind of begin to reacquire it Um, but I think it has been I think we had a similar my sister and I had a similar kind of uh, journey with Irish and that we both went to Irish speaking schools went to the same English speaking secondary school went to the same university and had this kind of experience where the language we had effectively lived most of our lives in through until the point of kind of 12, 13, um, suddenly just didn't have a space in the places we were in. It had kind of this very limited space in classrooms and secondary school, but it didn't exist outside that. Um, and then it really didn't have any place in our lives in Trinity. Uh, and that's not to say that Trinity is, you know, not an Irish friendly place, although perhaps it could be a little bit better. Um, But it just, like so many universities, didn't really provide any kind of visual or external symbolic allegiance to Irish. There was no, unless you were in an Irish programme, space for Irish in the university, or unless you really actively were engaged with like the Irish language societies. Um, So I think we just both had the same experience that we were living the life we wanted to live um, and that life just became increasingly monolingual as we moved through it and into our 20s. Uh, and without us wanting that to be the case, but having very little option, you just kind of accede to that at a certain point. And I think especially in your late teens and early 20s, um, you don't think like, I want to make friends who are Irish speakers. You think I want to make friends <laughs> and then they're Irish speakers. Like that's a nice coincidence, but um, it, it's not the what you set out for. So I think we probably had a very similar experience. And now we certainly try to to use our Irish together. But um yeah, I think they have the same thing that an awful lot of Irish adults have, which is it's very little space for Irish in public life. Oh, but I mean, this is it. I mean, this is one of the biggest challenges I see as a learner trying to learn the language now is opportunities to use the language outside of an educational context mm-hmm. are just, I, I mean, practically are just extraordinarily difficult to find as far as I can see. I mean, I just come back from, I was down in, 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 in Corcoguina last week and, you know, I was in a number of settings and you know, I I I struggle to 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 use the language. A part of it is because I feel as a learner, am I supposed to be imposing my kind of you know, cack-handed Irish on somebody who just wants to deal with a transaction in a bar or a shop or whatever? And you know, so there's there's so much kind of um, 
there's so much loading uh, on various different aspects of it. But but just th- that simple opportunity for use, I think, is it, it, it's an op- it's 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 a an obstacle the language faces all the time. Yeah, like I. I remember, uh, so what, two or three years ago now, I made this really deliberate decision that every time I interacted with the state, it was going to be through Irish. <laughs> so like filled out my census return really laboriously through Irish with a dictionary beside me for like the words for culvert and sewage drainage <laughs> to describe the house. Um, but just like my interactions with the revenue were now through Irish, um, like all that kind of stuff. And it did take a real effort at the beginning. I remember the first year, like I rang revenue um, and they had issued me the wrong form, I think, because I had entered a request for the wrong form. And I had to ask them, I was trying to ask her to like revoke the form and send out a new one. But I was like, what's the Irish verb for revoke, God? And I just was like, I'm afraid I'm changing a hog all around. Because I'm playing a show like whom. And she was like, oh yeah, like fibre bit. And I was so embarrassed about like not having this very kind of, you know, formal professional Irish. But my only experience has been that people are incredibly nice about it. Um, and that, like, on one or two occasions, like, somebody has said, like, oh, they'll say the word, and I'll be like, oh, Grimogoth, and then I'll use that word. So, like, there's never been any, I've never, like, encountered, like, now, I've encountered people who definitely, like, secretly are like, God, she's very bad grammar, <laughs> you know? I'm sure people behind my back are like, her vocabulary could be a lot better. But I've never encountered any kind of um, hostility, certainly to my face, uh, and nothing I'm aware of. Everybody's always been incredibly pleasant. Um, but it is, like, having to make that kind of real, effort to do it is really off-putting for a lot of people um, and I'm fairly like stuck you know I'm going to decide to do it and it's going to get done but an awful lot of people just won't be that stubborn that they're going to say I'm going to do that and I'm going to and they don't have the time to put into making that extra effort like you know leaving a message on a plan the you know the department of planning's voice machine and asking somebody to call you back in Irish a week later like some people just want the answer today and the level of service provision in Irish from state departments can be quite variable. Um, and in part, that's just a result of not having enough civil and public servants who speak Irish. Um, so there's not a huge amount you can do about that in the short term. Um, but I think some of the official languages changes we've seen in the legislation frequently uh, recently will hopefully change that in kind of the medium to long term. Um, so that hopefully people do at least have a more practical choice in terms of using language in those settings but like you still can't you know get on a Dublin bus and say you know I want you to go into Stephen's Green what's the fair in Irish not least because you're worried about then putting somebody who doesn't speak Irish on the spot you know um, completely you have to become yeah. you know because you, you, you don't want to be militant about this or at least you know I mean it's it's that you know that's it's socially awkward if nothing else yeah um so yeah but you don't want to be that Gael Gore who's like yeah trying to force it on everybody else but also there has to be a space for it somewhere you know yeah. or else like that like yeah. how does anybody ever learn like my parents doing their little language classes their gas like really loved them they did them with Gael Kultur and they had a great time um, and they had a really lovely teacher who was, I think, incredibly, um, I think, incredibly careful to like understand where they were coming from. He had a class that had quite a few people like my parents who had had maybe quite negative experiences in school learning Irish. But he also had a couple of like new immigrants who were trying to learn it to help their kids their homework. Um, and I think my parents, seeing those people trying to learn it, felt much better about trying to learn it themselves. Um, but the teacher was really nice, and he was like, I, I think he engaged like with my mum and dad and said, well. Did you ever learn, like, did you ever use this word, Rory, growing up in, in Dublin? And my dad would say, oh, I did. He goes, well, do you know that comes from the Irish? Like, there was an Irish community in Dublin, yeah. too. Um, yeah. So he kind of, my dad grew up in Rathmines uh, in Dublin. And he said, oh, you know, Rory, there used to be a, there used to be an Irish-speaking community in Rathmines in the 1850s. 
Um, and my dad's family have been in Rathmines for like as long as anybody knows. And my dad's like, oh my gosh, like I, I never knew this. Um, and went off on his little kind of research journey and found that like the houses my dad grew up in uh, were built on an area where there'd been this huge Irish speaking town and it had just been cleared to build these houses in the kind of 1850s. Um, so it was kind of it, that kind of feeling of proximity to it, I think, is really kind of, oh, it belongs to me too. Um, and kind of did similar things with my mum in the class where he was like, how what, like how would you have said that now in Claire, Martina, that wouldn't be the kite on? Uh, and mum was like very happy to engage in that because <laughs> she was like, oh, I actually do, do know the word in Claire Irish. Um, but I think it's that kind of thing, like showing people, especially people who maybe have negative experience in school, that they do actually have ownership of Irish, even if they don't recognise it initially, is really, really important. Um, because it is actually so close at hand, even though we struggle so much as Irish speakers to live our lives through Irish, there are kind of signs all around us of how frequently the language has faded off the landscape and off our lives. And I think if you can reclaim those or even just begin to see them, that's a real way back into the language for people. Phenomenal. Oh, so, so, there, there's so much, so much in that. But one thing I'd like to just pick up there, Roisin, is something that you mentioned when I was reading A Forked Tongue, just in, in preparation for this conversation, again, reading back over it, um, you mentioned, I think, um, being in a studio in, in Radio New Elton and waiting for that red light to come on <laughs> in kind of utter sort of dread and, and just thinking, oh my God, you know, where's the Severus? I'm not, you know, I, I need to be able to, you know, and, and just that feeling for, for competency in the language, you know, ease in the language, how 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 have those things evolved as as because now you 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 now you use the language extensively I know and on 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 in media and other opportunities um but how has that kind of feeling evolved for you in terms of using it publicly yeah like I certainly remember the first time I was asked to go and write in the gap was to it's always to talk about law <laughs> current affairs uh, which is kind of another register as well. Um, and I remember, the first but, that, but that, but that's very particular because I mean, like when you're speaking as a lawyer, I mean, like, your whole kind of sense of identity is based mm-hmm. on your, for want of a better word, eloquence or ability to be very precise and and and, and articulate in relation to the, the 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 subject matter. And when you're, and then I suppose you're thinking of it in English and then translating it into Irish in your head. Is that is that how you work? Or, or? yeah, it is funny because usually when I speak Irish, I just think in Irish and speak in Irish. <laughs> I don't have this kind of internal translation. And <laughs> um, but sometimes when I'm talking about the legal subject matter, because like I didn't do Irish, I didn't do law through Irish. I've never studied law through Irish I did um as part of my qualification as a barrister you have to sit uh, through two weekends of uh legal vocabulary in Irish I'm not sure if solicitors have to do the same thing um but you don't really take an exam on it now I chose then to go on to a specific module um about legal practice through Irish and to do all kind of the drafting and stuff but it's fairly brief you know and when you line up all the years you've been studying law with the couple of days you spend doing that, it's a real kind of drop in the ocean. Um, so I think at the beginning, I really kind of, every time I went on radio, I would have to spend kind of like a good hour and a half, you know, thinking about what I was going to say and all the different ways I could say it and what way would be kind of the most accurate and kind of also just looking up words that I would know in English because I've been using them for years that I would never have had cause to use in Irish. Uh, like really particular vocabulary and stuff. Now that's just gotten better uh, the longer I've <laughs> the longer I've been doing it. So it's now kind of year six of me doing that kind of stuff occasionally. Um, and I am just much more 
used to using that kind of vocabulary and that kind of register. And um, but I think it is kind of the fear that comes with not using the language regularly, especially in the kind of register you're being asked to speak in, um, that you won't be able to kind of move as easily or as easily uh, between one thought and another as you might in another language. Um, so I certainly I still kind of find that I don't kind of have to prepare like I did for those first couple. Um, but I still kind of make sure that I sit down and like really think about what I have to say and what I would like to say as well. Um, and just kind of think it through in a way that like I probably wouldn't have to in English because I know if I got a question in English I didn't want to answer, I'd be able to vamp a lot better. <laughs> Whereas in Irish, I feel like I would just kind of, uh, it might crumble very quickly. Um, but then I know equally like when the red light goes off and we're all chatting in the studio like I'm so fine so part of it is you know being very careful that you as a lawyer are speaking in a very accurate way in a way that is also easy to understand for an audience who are listening to and aren't legal professionals and um, so that's always kind of the geo challenge but then like also just like a sort of latent fear that I'm getting some of the grammar wrong <laughs> you know um or that I'm going to kind of uh trip over my words or, or use the wrong word by accident so that is there but then I think if the price of being able to speak Irish or having Irish continue to be spoken is that we all get it a little bit wrong some of the time it's kind of a price I'm willing to pay and I know there are people who say like that's not the way you should view it like we should all be struggling for and striving or striving I suppose for this greater severus and to have a richer tongue and like a richer language and we should um, but I think, you know, to get there, <laughs> you have to talk the kind of Irish that maybe doesn't have that richness, you know? Yeah, like, I mean... The stepping you... stones to actually having the language is to use it in a way that is imperfect. In anything, in order to get good, you've got to be bad. Yeah. I mean, that's just... that's I've, I, we, we Our kids are in... play brass instruments. I've listened to an awful lot of appalling, but, uh, you know, uh, brass uh, playing over the years, but they now all sound 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 great. So um, we've got to, we've got to stick with it. Um, but 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 um, uh, let me pick up on that, um, um, Roshi. Just just in, in relation to, but in the context of Severus here, mm. by which we mean richness or the the, and I suppose it's really it would be the what 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 non-native speakers would look for is the, the Severus of the the, the 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 native speaker, the richness and the the natural language they would have. You mentioned in a fork tongue as well, just about that whole kind of complex relationship because you you, you have the, the you're learning in the kaidon, and then maybe you're learning in in you said in, in maybe in the in the in the Gael school you were learning um, Munster Irish in as you went as you in secondary school then you had more exposure to 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 Connemara Irish, um um and then of course you also then discovered in relation to your research in relation to where your family came from it was a and subsequent Brackwell but with a kind of its own, mm-hmm. uh, which is now lost. Um, can you talk to us about that and 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 your thoughts around it? Yeah, sure. So I kind of um, I said this to a friend, and he was like, "Don't use that. That's awful. It makes it seem like your Irish not good." I, I always say I have like a kind of mongrel kind, like it's from yeah. nowhere in particular. Like I have all this Dongani Hoosh building blocks at the very bottom of it from primary school, and certainly like. I'll make, I'll like, I'm not trying to say that our uh, teachers in primary school didn't try and teach us the Kaidon. They absolutely did. But like, we, they spoke Munster Irish. Uh, and then that's kind of layered on with like, I remember going to secondary school and then saying like, you can't put an Uru there. And I was like, why on earth not? <laughs> like, you know, I've been putting an Uru there since I was four. Why would I not put one there? So kind of like battered into form a bit by the Kaidon. Um, and then kind of the Connacht the Irish kind of and Connacht Irish layered on top of that. 
Um, so I'm kind of always like, oh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mongrel. Like it's nothing in particular. It's everything a little bit. Um, and my friend's like, no, no, that makes it seem like there's this kind of thoroughbred Irish you should be looking for, but everybody just has the Irish they have. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of a fair point. But um, yeah, what I discovered when I was doing the research about my family was that it was not only that the Gaeltacht had, um, I suppose, ended or died or whatever you want to think about it, uh, but also that there was a really, really specific Connacht, um, a particular dialect spoken in that region of North Clare that was completely different from the Irish which around it. So the, the area of North Clare is kind of uh, from above Doolan just to kind of Ballyvaughan. So it's, it's very small. It kind of maps almost exactly onto the Burren. Um, and above that area would be uh, Connemara Irish, obviously, kind of the north of Galway Bay. And then the Aran Islands, which are directly in front of it, just across the water. And then the Aran Islands, Irish would be spoken in Doolan as well, which is where the Inishir Islanders would have landed. Mm. So it's sort of surrounded by this huge horseshoe of Connemara Irish, but it's completely distinct. Um, and there was this incredible work on some of the dialects done by some of the scholars in Maynooth in particular, uh, one of them I was talking to, and he was saying it's actually, it's not even that it was distinct, it, it's even more unusual, and it belongs to this kind of dialect band that stretched kind of diagonally across the country, and it is much more in common with the Daisha Gaeltacht than it does mm-hmm. with any of the Gaeltacht around it, so it's a much more... I know, you know, if you're not, um, if you're not a native speaker, like they should, Irish sounds so kind of slow and relaxed, and it's much more of that kind of a, a conant. There's more of that echoing off it than off the Connemara Irish, which is around it, which is fascinating, uh, because it tends to show that like the relationships and the trade and everything is going in a very particular way, um, and of course that that community is still really strong, whereas the community in North Clare has kind of died off, and that language belt, that dialect belt rather, has effectively retreated back. Um, to to the data Gaeltacht, so that Tipperary, Tipperary kind of through a bit of Limerick and into into Clare is kind of gone, um, and the bit around Limerick probably would have been one of the last bits to go. So uh, more uh, Rainy Grada, who wrote on Trial, that drama everybody in secondary school, she would have grown up in uh, I think she grew up just outside Limerick, but she grew up in a Brack Gaeltacht in part of that dialect belt. Um, but it's yeah, so it's a it's a really particular kind of dialect. I mean. I'm really not a linguist. I spent all this time kind of looking at uh, linguistic renderings of how you would sound out the words. And it's sort of a foreign language to me. I really can't understand it. Um, But there are excellent, um, excellent linguistic atlases made by actually a couple of German and uh, Swedish, Norwegian maybe academics in the sort of from the 1960s on through to the 1980s. And some of them are published by the Dublin Institute of Advanced Studies. You can still buy them on their website <laughs> uh, and they're huge. They're really, really big. They're kind of um, two A4 size height um, and they have maps of Ireland on every single page and the word at the very top of the page and then annotated on the map how that word is said in all the different different regions and all the different county. Um, and that's probably, for me, as somebody who isn't doesn't have training as a linguist, one of the easiest ways to see how the county differed from those around it and how it was the same to others. Um, and it's really fascinating. It's a, it's an incredibly interesting way. It also shows you some of the most common words which were in use. And um, so they interview people and ask them how they would say 
um, X number of words and like things like heron, which we wouldn't think of as being a word that's in common use or some of the most common words that are used. Um, so it's a really kind of, it's a really, really fascinating resource and an incredible thing to be able to, to look at. I think some of them, some of those maps have now been digitized. Uh, I know I've come across people on Twitter who are like sharing digital ones of them. So some of them have definitely been kind of scanned and uploaded probably on the DIAS uh, database or website. Um, but they're really amazing. They're they're definitely they're like, in every library has a copy of them to consult. I really really recommend people read them. They're just uh, they're just really incredible. Uh, apart from anything else, just pieces of art. But the four words to those um, to those atlases, even when the words are being collected, um, the collectors, the academics who were doing it, were saying they were having trouble finding enough people from every area who were native speakers in order to get the kind of authentic quote unquote. Uh, pronunciations or, or ways of saying the word in the different economy. Um, so even then they're really struggling. And I know they they say they got to the part of North Clare um, that I'm kind of most interested in and they struggled to find more than five or six uh, native speakers. Now, I don't know if that was hugely accurate because they say that they struggled to do that in the kind of early um, 1970s, into, uh, 1960s into the early 1970s. And certainly like RTE interviewed kind of the last speakers of the dialect in the early 1990s so there were definitely native speakers until then um but certainly they kind of struggled to find a large pool of people who would have had it as their first language from birth yeah the, the late poet Liam O'Werlaha was uh, was with RTE at the time and he has a couple of, there's a couple of great videos on YouTube where he's interviewing this this lady I think you mentioned her in a yeah I do yeah Mairead New like uh, Maggie Haley. Yeah. Yeah, she's, yeah, he's interviewing it, her in her house. Beside, that's actually beside my great aunt's farm. You can see it in the background. So they were neighbours, and uh, he's interviewing her, and she's a really thick Clare accent and a beautiful, like beautiful Irish, so fluent and so fluid. And um, but of course, Numerla has Numerla has um, quite kind of like nice orty Irish. <laughs> it's from Munster as well, and he just doesn't understand her at a couple of points, and she says. Um, she says uh, Jehner, and he thinks she said therefore, drif- uh, like sister, uh, instead of ten. And he, she repeats it a couple of times, and he kind of is getting the wrong end of the stick. And it's just this masterclass in skepticism because she completely breaks the fourth wall, turns around to the camera, and goes ten, ten of <laughs> like you've sent this man here to interview me, just even speaker. Yeah, Very good. The, the the look on her face is 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 just wonderful. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. brilliant. I, I I was taken by a line though in a fork tongue, in in this context now. I mean, we're coming through talking about you know uh, Kainunti and and your experience, but but you you have a line there which I, I just really resonated with me. Is I, I I want to feel entitled to call this language mine because she does not feel like she always belongs to me. I mean that that really struck me as a deep. Um, expression of 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 your feeling towards the language there, Russian. It's one that really, really deeply resonated with me. H- how has that kind of how's how's that going for you? Yeah, it's going okay. I'm getting better. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. It's, I think it always is kind of a struggle, especially when I, I don't come, like because I don't come from a family that has this very kind of coherent relationship with Irish. Um, my relationship to the language is structured so much on my own terms sometimes. And um, that it doesn't, I, I kind of, I use the language, but I don't feel like I belong to like an Irish speaking community a lot of the time. So like I do have friends who are kind of, you know, work in RT or with Rajagatha, um, 
and speak Irish a lot and have colleagues who are constantly speaking Irish. So very good friend of mine, uh, her husband, who's also a very good friend, um, works for Ragnar Gatha and has for several years. And before that was working for other kind of Irish language organisations. And as a result of that, speaks Irish all day, um, but also comes from a family who are Irish speakers and are very much part of kind of a, a community in Dublin of Irish speaking families. So he kind of really feels like the language is his. Um, and then I think in contrast that like I grew up in a family that has a sort of incoherent relationship to Irish at a very nuclear level, but also kind of more more broadly. Um, I went to an Irish speaking primary school and I do still have friends who speak Irish, who I speak Irish too. But the majority of my friends don't speak Irish, can't really speak Irish, um, you know, aren't from families who can or would um, and that they they might have you know huge interest in traditional music and stuff, but it doesn't necessarily map onto a linguistic interest. Um, so it it can feel really um, you can feel quite at sea, I think, in that circumstance. It can feel very much like there is Pubble Nagelga, and then you and you happen to be an Irish speaker, but that doesn't make you part of Pubble Nagelga necessarily. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that kind of structured. I think less and less as I get like slightly older, and I just care less. <laughs> um, but certainly when I was in university and in my twenties, and um, that structured an awful lot of my relationship with Irish. I just felt like it was something I had, like I was able to speak Irish, but that didn't necessarily mean it belonged to me, or I had this kind of entitlement to speak it. Like my Irish wasn't good enough or I wasn't part of this kind of community and I didn't come from an Irish speaking family uh, and all those things. And it just kind of made me feel like, um, like it was a bit of a pretense, you know, like saying, oh, I'm an Irish speaker was just a bit of a lie, <laughs> especially with a big Southside accent on me. Um, and it just all felt a bit kind of like I was pretending. But then I think the further into my 20s I got, and like I think certainly some of the research I was doing about my family's relationship to Irish was in part to kind of, interrogate whether that was true and whether I was entitled to call myself an Irish speaker um but I think regardless of whether I'd, I could have found that they were all like, English landlords right who didn't speak any Irish that doesn't disqualify me from ownership of the language um and I think that's one of the really important things and one of the things that has really kind of given me huge faith in my capacity to say like well no I am an Irish speaker and the language does belong to me is seeing how many people who come from like a first generation Irish, newly arrived families, uh, other people who just come from families where they were sent to an Irish school who were also like, yeah, I'm an Irish speaker and I work for Red Magalta or I'm a public facing person who uses Irish and I'm not like what really conservative people would maybe consider like the traditional face of Irish. And to see how diverse the Irish speaking community is uh, and how welcoming the Irish speaking community has been of that diversity. I think is a huge, um, a huge kind of consolation to people who, and encouragement to people who think, oh, well, you know, me long see kind of a thing. Um, and I think certainly for me, it's been a huge encouragement when I was kind of trying to reconcile myself with how much the language was or was not mine. Yeah. And thank you for that because, you know, and I, I just relate to everything you say there in relation to that. And, and I mean, I, I'm coming back to it you know, in a much in a later stage of my life and, you know, having spent, you know, a good 45 years being completely and utterly determinedly ignorant in relation to the language um, and, you know, recalcitrant in relation to the language. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, everything that you mentioned there, 
all of that, you know, and more. And, and just one of, one of the things you inspired me to go back and do actually, Roshan, was to, to go back to the census of uh, 1901, because I had the same experience growing up. I mean, well, not the same. It was, it's obviously, you know, totally you know, unique in its own way, but, but very similar experiences in terms of, you know, certainly we never, Irish was never a feature of our house. Uh, I learned it at school reluctantly, um, but but I never felt that that was, you know, that it had been a, a feature of our family. Uh, not that it needs to be a feature of a family, as you say, in terms of first generation people coming here and learning the language from scratch. I mean, not that you have to have any kind of, you know, genetic credentials or anything like this. But but I, I just found it fascinating in terms of my own family history. I went back to the 1901 census and, and, and I looked and I saw and I saw my my. Uh, my great grandfather there, and and my great great grandfather was was the head of the household at the time, and and he was he was the way the census was filled out at the time. If if you spoke English only, you left it blank, but if you spoke Irish and English or Irish only, you put in whichever it was. And the first three, my 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 great great grandfather, my great great grandmother, and my um what would have been my uh, great uh, uh, uncle, great grand uncle, um had Irish and English, and then my great grandfather was um is blank so he so that would have been he was 24 at the time would be my grandfather's um father and he was he was he was a he was a monoglot english speaker but he was the first yeah in that family who was who was a monoglot english speaker all before him had been either irish and english or, or prior to that presumably irish only and it that was just the transition point in 1901 and 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 and, and you 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 just so describe so wonderfully the, the same or a, a similar transition in your own family. Yeah, so I I find that 1901 census and it's got my three times great grandmother. Uh, yeah. She's the head of the household because her son, her only son actually, uh, Porik is still out in the farm when the census man comes. So it's her, her daughter-in-law, and then an absolute rake of children. Um, and they're all. She is Irish only as head of the household. She has never spoken English and she never would. <laughs> And her daughter is uh, English-Irish. And then all the kids are English-Irish. Um, and then 10 years further down the line, the census in 1911, um, she has, my great-great-great-grandmother has died, but her daughter-in-law and her husband are alive uh, and their kids are all 10 years older. Uh, and the youngest in the household is listed as only having English. Uh, yeah. So they're learning English first instead of learning Irish first. Uh, and that's kind of the tipping point in the family. So from that point on, they still learn Irish um, and they're still living in a, in a community where it would have been really, really difficult to be a monoglot English speaker. So Irish is not only accepted, but it's actually necessary to operate. Um, but it's it's beginning to turn. It's not the additional language you learn later. It's the language you grow up speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, this part of West Cork wouldn't have been anything like well at that time. Um, but 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 where you came from in, in, in Clare, was and and I suppose what I'd what I'd love to do here, maybe coming towards the end of our conversation, is I mean one of the big things that I hear about all the time, and one of the reasons we're having these conversations is because I feel that there are very few conversations that I'm hearing in the English language about the crisis that is the Irish as a community language in the Gaeltacht in particular, which I think is the sort of existential, you know point of 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 you know what are we going to do about the future of of, of irish in 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 just full stop but um and that's a huge issue and and again i'm i'm not, i don't think it's fair to put that question to you directly as somebody who's not from the quilt but what i would love are your thoughts around because you are somebody who's from a quilt your family came down tr- from a quilt and and 
and and the language, if you like, died out unbeknownst to your parents, let's say. And now you're back um, reclaiming the language again. If you if, if you know, it, it, you, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, because it is. I suppose. Um, I think one of the, the really interesting things is the two sides of my mom's family are kind of, and it, they offer kind of different illustrations of reasons the language died. So her paternal um, line would have been like relatively wealthy as far as Irish people were ever wealthy, especially in very bad farming country in the West of Ireland. Um, but like they would have raised their children, like all the kids spoke Latin and French and Irish and English, for example. Now they learned it all pretty much at home and in the local school, but they left home with a very good education at around 15 or 16. Um, and all the girls were educated very well as well. And they all kind of went on to become kind of nurses and postmistresses and teachers and all that kind of stuff. So they were, by kind of modern standards, what we would consider like a very middle class family. Um, but And they all learned Irish, but then they kind of learned not to use it. Uh, they nearly all emigrated because there was no way for them to stay in the place they called home. So they all ended up in kind of London, in America, uh, in the UK more generally. Now, some of them came back eventually. So my great aunt um, moved back to to Clare after spending most of her career in New York. Um, but they just had no alternative. Like they had no reason to stay. There was no kind of economic opportunity. And to a large extent, the same thing is the case now. I don't have the option to live my life and have the career I have in Dublin, in Clare. I spend as much time as I can in the piece of Clare I call home. But like the four courts are based in Dublin. <laughs> the university that employs me is in Dublin and the opportunities to do the kind of things I want to do are much more limited in the West of Ireland. Now that's also because the population of Ireland is very small. Uh, so things are necessarily going to be concentrated in population centres. But there has to be kind of an opportunity to either bring the language with you where you're going and know that you can find the same supports in the place you go to to make your life so that we don't have this kind of like linguistic differentiation of like, if you want to live your life like through Irish, you have to be here. But we also have to give people the opportunity to stay if they want to. And that can be like, I think, very simple things. Like it can be having a transport system that means you can just get on a train at seven o'clock in the morning and be in Dublin at 10, you know, or nine. Uh, and to know that you can go home to a the area at the end of the day and still live your life through Irish and that your kids will have the opportunity to do the same thing, that you can build like a really coherent community through Irish without asking people to live a radically different life, without asking people to pick careers or partners or friends based only on language uh, and the opportunities based in a place that is Irish speaking. So I think that's what you see from kind of that half of mum's family. And then the other half of mum's family were... Um, I suppose, quite like poor uh, in the way so many Irish families were. So like got given land by the Land Commission. There was nothing before that. Um, you know, the kids went to uh, the local primary school and then there was no secondary school. So there was no secondary schooling. That was it. Uh, and they went off to work. And they, I think, saw Irish as just something that wasn't an advantage. It just wasn't useful. Um, they had There was two girls in the family. The marriage ban was still in place. So even if you spoke Irish, it was getting to you into the civil service for what, three or four years before you got to retire because you'd had you'd gotten married and you were having kids. Um, so it was just no advantage to them. Um, so there was no kind of incentive to keep it going. Now, having said that, they were like native speakers. So my mum often tells the story about her own mother was a postmistress before she got married. 
um, and when the marriage ban was uh, rescinded, she was kind of had had the kids and they were all kind of grown up and she was asked to go back and cover for somebody who was uh, not able to be postmistress for a while. And she went back and my mum remembers her sitting in the sitting room with the accounts at the end of every day, totting them up in Irish because she'd learned everything through Irish in school and at home and it was still the default language. But she never made sure that her kids spoke it to a really high degree. So it was just something that wasn't useful. And in circumstances where life was pretty tough <laughs> and you really had to pay attention and spend time and money on things that were going to get you where you wanted to go, Irish just wasn't one of those things. Um, and it's really unfortunate, but that's the way it was viewed. It was just like, why would you waste time on that? It's not going to get you into college. It's not going to help you get a job because the civil service no longer required a particular standard in Irish by the time they were growing up. Um, so it was just kind of viewed as a bit of an indulgence, really. Um, so it's really those two things, I think, play out an awful lot in Irish families frequently that either, you know, it's, it's not advantaging you and you have to leave the place that you could speak it um, or it's not advantaging you. So why would you learn it? Uh, and certainly like my dad uh, is from from Dublin. He's a family or are from Dublin, kind of Wicklow. Um, and he has no memory, really, of anybody in his family speaking Irish. Now, his grandparents and great-grandparents were very, very active in Avioca and McGilga and coming to Man and everything. But he's no living kind of memory of that in his family. Um, and like he went to his kind of horror story of learning Irish is that he went to the local uh, Christian Brothers school and he had a teacher who was from a Gaelic area and had beautiful Irish himself and viewed these boys who were from very working class homes as just not deserving of learning Irish. Like, that's not for you. Like... You don't you don't need that and why would you want it? And you're these little <laughs> Dublin girls and like why why would the language be yours? Um and like maybe that's just the way he perceived it, um, because it was kind of a very working class school and there was that perception, uh, and that was maybe on their side as kids. But equally, like to take that away from the experience of learning Irish is so incredibly damaging. Because even then, if you have a good teacher later on, you have to overcome this idea that it's not yours. And that it's not useful to you. And also maybe you don't deserve to speak it. And um, so I think we're over, we're still overcoming an awful lot of that generationally. Like I'm very lucky that my parents kind of set aside their experiences with the language and decided I was going to have a very positive relationship with it. Um, but I think there's an awful lot of families who, you know, just haven't, haven't dealt with that at all. Completely. I mean, there are so many, many, many layers to this. And another thing, I, I've been reading a book by, um, uh, it's Mr. Kelly, I think, it's compulsory Irish. It was written back in the early nineties, but but I mean, because one of the things that like I think when they when they forced a lot of the primary education was the only education that was being provided by the state at the time to be through Irish. You had people particularly come from disadvantaged backgrounds who the only education they were getting was in a language that they didn't speak yeah. and that the teachers weren't terribly proficient in in the first place. You know, and and it was just an extraordinary kind of. You know, and, and then people come out of that with, you know, they're not going to come out of that with a, with a, 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 you know, any positive, any positive views towards the language. And I think that that that's kind of baked into to, to to a lot of the, the 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 kind of lazy thinking we get around the language uh, uh, nowadays. But anyway, enough of that. Let's let's. I mean, let's let's just look forward for a moment as we as we as we wrap the conversation. I mean, you're somebody who's been an extraordinarily positive force in relation to the language. Um, but you mentioned there just also, and I know you're 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 a lawyer who's actively involved in a lot of uh, in, in in rights-based initiatives in relation to the language. What would you see now, Roshan? Just in terms of just looking at that whole Gaelic kind of problem, 
I'm not necessarily looking to come up with the answer to it all, but what would you see? What do you see as the the the, the, the highest priorities or the things that you think could make an impact the most for, for for Irish speakers today in terms of initiatives we could we could be focusing on? Yeah, I think certainly when like I'm not a I'm not a language planning expert. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not a language policy person. I'm, I'm just, I kind of focus on rights based violations. So it's all gone wrong by the time I got my hands on it. Yeah. Um, but certainly, like when I speak to colleagues who are uh, teaching Irish specifically at university level. Um, and particularly colleagues who kind of have maybe some relationship with the, the teacher training colleges for, for secondary and primary school. The thing they say is, you know, we get people into secondary school who want to become primary and secondary school teachers now. And their Irish just isn't good enough, you know, um, or the universities are focusing less and less on teaching the kind of um I suppose they, they'll give them the language, but they won't give them the kind of cultural supports to go with that. So we'll focus on teaching you just the language but we won't focus on teaching kind of like linguistic history or um, anything about kind of literature through the language. So I think the stripping away of kind of the richness of what goes along with learning a language, that you learn the history of the language, that you learn about the literature, um, I think that's probably really damaging. And it's damaging not just in terms of depriving you of kind of a fuller view of the language, but also your capacity to teach in a very informed way uh, and to teach in kind of, away with kind of depth and severance and to pass that on I think so much of rebuilding a language especially when it's in the situation that Irish is in where it's it is a minority tongue and it isn't very visible is focusing on the future of the language rather than the past so yeah we have to support I think definitely Gaelic areas to continue to thrive and for people to be able to build their lives within those areas when and if they want to but I think we also have to make sure that you know, the vast majority of Irish speakers in Ireland in the future are going to be from non-Irish speaking families. Uh, they're going to be from families where their parents don't speak Irish, their grandparents didn't speak Irish. They might be the first person in their family to learn this language. So they have to be taught by people who really know the language, who have a very high standard of linguistic capacity, but are also specifically taught how to teach language. Um, and part of it, I think, is making sure that Gael Kalorshti are better funded and more available. Like the demand for Irish language primary schools in Dublin is through the roof, um, but we still have a real lack of them. Uh, so they're all, all the Irish language primary schools are kind of oversubscribed in the Dublin area. Uh, and it can't be that that's unique at a national level. Um, so I think we need investment in making sure that people are well-educated in Irish so that they can educate the next generation of Irish speakers. I think that's incredibly important. I think like for my own part, as somebody who teaches at a university level, it also means that Irish isn't siloed to Irish courses. It means that we have to maybe think about offering modules in Irish in other degree courses, so that if you're doing law, even if you're not doing law and Irish, you might have the option of doing a module through Irish, especially if it's something like EU law, where if you go off to Brussels and become a European lawyer, Irish is incredibly important. Um, So I think those things are are really, really important. And I think making people aware of the opportunities that opens up as well, that you're not sending your kid off to the Gale School just so they'll have some extra language and do well in the Leaving Cert, that there are really tangible benefits in terms of employment uh, when you come out of school and when you come out of university, and that that has a financial outcome, if nothing else, that there are really coherent reasons you would want this from a career advantage point of view even if you don't agree with all the kind of cultural stuff that we talk about and the identity politics of it all um, and I think all of that's really really important I think it, I think we're getting better at explaining that and explaining the advantages of having Irish at a very kind of practical level as well as just a, a kind of an ideological one or a cultural one 
Um, but I think we need to think really, really seriously about how we invest in teaching the language uh, because we're not going to magic up new Irish speaking families. We have to actually build them. Oh, that's 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 so um, that's so deep, um, Roshan. That's so and that's profoundly um, insightful. Um, thank you for that. I mean, finally, Roshan, just to wrap up, I always kind of end on this question, and and uh, would I just want to pick up on what you mentioned about happened on either side of your mum's family from different perspectives in terms of the lack of a a, a, a why in terms of the relevance of the language for, 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 for your family at a certain point in learning it and uh, your, your, your dad's experience when he was learning. But can I come back to you then about why we should do any of this and why we should, why, why any of us should go to the, the and, and, and suffer all of the kind of, you know, the, the uh, cognitive dissonance that I feel constantly in relation to Irish and so on. So could you just tell us What's your thoughts around why, but more particularly, what's your why in relation to to, to the language ocean? What motivates you in relation to it? And and, and I'd love for you to, to share that with our listeners because I'm sure they'll they, they will find that inspiring. Yeah, I got asked this actually recently. I was um I've I've been doing some work for Irish Pages, the press up in Belfast, and they they asked me this recently, you know, what's the value of, of learning Irish? And I said, like, I I can't quantify it. Like there's no euro amount I could write down on paper in terms of an advantage it's given me there is it's probably zero <laughs> it's maybe the occasional 20 euro from writing the like that like it's it's not high um but like it, it could have been I could have gone off to Brussels and been a, a legal translator and that would have you know paid all the bills um so like there could be really practical advantages to it if you wanted there to be but I think for me personally I think it's about um identity I don't remember a time I wasn't able to speak Irish. I couldn't imagine not being able to speak it. I know it's made my life so much richer for me for being bilingual. Um, it's opened up so many doors in terms of just really practical things, like it makes other languages easier to learn. But also I can just read things about our history that aren't available in English. I can read literature that isn't available in English. And that's those are literature that's literature and stories and histories that are particular to who I am as an Irish person right and the country I live in and the history of it and why things are the way they are it means that I when I walk past a sign I can understand why it was named that somewhere was named that um, and it means that as a result of understanding what the name is I maybe understand what the people who are from there were like and what they thought was funny or important about a landscape um, yeah and I think I think it means that you are much more in tune for me with the kind of landscape you inhabit and the history of the people who are from there. And I think all of those things are really important. Somebody else might not. Another person might have completely different reasons for learning it. Um, and they might be entirely pragmatic and financial, and that would be absolutely fine too. Um, but I know that from my perspective, um, that's why I love it. I've never, I can't imagine myself not speaking Irish, um, but I also know it's made my life and my understanding of place and people so much richer. Um, and I think it's made me a lot more appreciative of diversity as well. I think when you learn Irish, you also learn how many of the words are influenced by French and how many of the words are influenced by English. And then you see how many Irish words have ended up in vocabularies around the world. Um, and I think you're disabused very quickly of this idea that the Irish are kind of, you know, white northern Western Europeans who are in some way this kind of... Uh, Celtic race who are very kind of insular and isolated and you know the noble Celt all that kind of that kind of uh, rhetoric that gets bandied about you're disabused of that really quickly and you see 
the diversity that has characterised us as a, a nation historically, not just recently, um, and how welcoming we have been of that diversity as well. So like I come from a family that had monoglot Irish speakers four generations ago, but I also come from a family where nearly every second name is non-Irish. Uh, so the surnames in my family are indicative of how, how many families in this country don't have a right to say that they've been here since the beginning of time, but have found a home here uh, and have contributed to a culture um, that is incredibly rich, but is not as, but is far more diverse, I think, than it's sometimes portrayed as. And I think those kind of insights you only get when you can learn the language um, and when you can understand uh, where you come from. Ro Shinakara, if that isn't one of the greatest reasons I've ever heard for for for, for learning the language, um I I I I, I don't know what it is. Um Aroshin Akara Garmila Mahagut Vinme An Tanavas and Shkela Ryan Tulin Berbua August Banachtakara. Thanks for listening. Garvmila Mahagut Asave Eshtukt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would really appreciate your feedback and would be eternally grateful if you would follow, rate and review the show. Please also be sure to sign up at thelanguagequestion.com forward slash resources to get your free valuable learning resources and to stay up to date with upcoming episodes, guests and to receive exclusive content. Slán tamla.